we have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. I'm Liz Guinness and welcome to Talking Australia. Joining me today is a woman whose energy and enthusiasm for life knows no bounds. And for this reason, our conversation is a rollicking great ride. Crystal Wright is one of the world's leading adventure photographers. Her need to push the envelope every chance she gets means she has shot for the likes of Red Bull, National Geographic and of course, us. From a childhood spent in Queensland to a near-fatal paragliding accident in Pakistan, hers is a story you won't want to miss. Crystal, thank you so much for joining me today on Talking Australia. It's um, it's a joy to have you here and a bit of a thrill for me. I'm a, a bit of an adventure junkie and adventure buff, but I have to say I don't think I um, uh, come anywhere near uh, your... Um, passion for adventure and your thrill of the chase so um welcome <laughs> cheers although i'd say uh i don't know in the past 12 months my uh, lust for adventure has been very very tame i can imagine well so and obviously that's because of the pandemic and you're used to kind of wandering the world as a as an adventure photographer and filmmaker and cinematographer but um with covid i imagine that has clipped your wings almost entirely <laughs> that's one way to put it Sometimes friends joke that I'm I'm the one that had willed on this pandemic because <laughs> I was so burnt out and I but I didn't know how to stop. And mm-hmm. so when the pandemic began, some friends are like, "Ah, oh, you're the one that did this, huh?" Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, this is Mother Nature's way of going. You need a break. <laughs> oh, I think the world needs a break. Uh, yeah. Actually, there's this beautiful, beautiful piece online. Um, gosh, I wish I remember the artist, but I remember it's like shot in this romantic-esque, I don't know, 18th century museum in Europe. And these two dancers are on this balancing board in this piece. It only goes for about two or three minutes, but I thought it was so incredibly beautiful. And it just talked about how humans in general, we don't seem to know how to stop and pause. We like mm. create this momentum ourselves and we act as if we can't stop or change that. We just keep spiraling down this, I don't know, rabbit hole. Mm. And I think that's a good way to put it because I, for sure, when I began, I would say I was very much a wanderer and sort of went with the times and I never felt that I was in a rush. But the last couple of years, particularly, gosh, 2017, then 18, and then especially 19, I was out of control. Like I was traveling so, so much. And I remember asking myself, like, wait, why am I here again? Like, what actual purpose did I have traveling to this location? Mm. And because I was trying so hard for so long to build my career, to build that momentum. And then suddenly I've created a certain momentum where I was like, what am I actually doing? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, I was, I was really burnt out, but I, I couldn't accept that or acknowledge it until I was forced to stop. 
And I think that's the thing, isn't it? When you, you're right, you, when you're building your career, you don't want to say no to anything and, and, and those opportunities, and particularly opportunities that present you with opportunities to go to places that you've not been to and, and photograph things that you've always wanted to see. Um, so, yeah, I mean, COVID, I suppose, has been certainly a very big handbrake um, for, for a lot of people to say, just, just stop and be and, and reassess. Yeah, though I, I do worry. I think some people are learning how to reset out of this, and I think many people have achieved a far healthier balance. But I worry about those who are so craving to return to the way it was, but I don't think we could sustain the way it was. I really do think there are a lot of dramatic changes that we all do need to make in moving forward, but I don't know, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. I'm certainly on, on the camp of, look, let's, this, this, this slower pace, this more considered pace, this take a break and, and really assess what's important in your life. Um, that's, that's certainly where I fall. Um, and, and I've got to be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm not like, um, you know, I don't feel like I've become a shut-in, but I certainly enjoy being able to say no to things, you know? Saying no is a very powerful thing to do. And yeah. yeah, as you begin a career, you're taught say yes, say yes. And yes. I was even taught, you know, say yes, because you could always say no later. But how often did you ever actually say no later? No. And also you would always feel compromised. I would always feel like I've, I've said yes, I can't now say no. You know? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. And I'm learning to say no. I'm, I'm still learning. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, it, no, and it is. It's a skill. It's a real skill. Oh, yeah. So... No, it'll be interesting, uh, but also the fact is like a lot of people will joke, oh, Chris, you, you really must miss the international travel. And to be honest, I don't. Mm. Uh, I have so wanted to be home for a long time and I've got a few projects obviously coming up. Um, I don't know why I said obviously, as if everyone expected to know what I was going to say. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> but uh, no, for me, it's... I've just craved to explore more of Australia and I've, for whatever reason, it's always been in my mindset since I was about 20 that I never wanted to wait until I was a grey nomad to see my own country mm. because there are no guarantees and not to be dark, but this is life because, you know, life can dramatically change and I feel like the older I get, <laughs> suddenly life seems to slap you in the face really hard and fast. Yes. And I just realised, yeah, there's, there's no guarantee that I'm going to be a happy, retired, I don't know, 60-year-old just floating around the country. So for me, it's like this is such a golden opportunity to seek out some pretty cool adventures in Australia. And the thing is with Australia is there are so many adventures to be had as well. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, mm. there is so much to do here. So, yeah, hopefully the next few months are going to be quite, um, quite the fruitful adventure. Yeah. Look, and I want to talk to you more about that because um, I'm, you know, really interested to know, I know you've spent some time travelling around Australia and photographing different areas, um, so it'd be wonderful to have a chat about that. But before we do that, it'd probably be really good for people to know kind of where you've come from and what you've been doing. So um, you grew up um, on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland? Yes, indeed. Yeah. And is that where you are now? Is this where you've spent yep. the last 12 months? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Like I, so I tried living in Sydney when I was younger. Uh, mm. It's when I first started out as a sports photographer with uh, the Sunday Telegraph and Ajon's Friends Press. Yep. And the problem is, I mean, Sydney's fun and I love coming down to visit, but uh, I'm just not a city person. I, yeah. 
I couldn't handle the stress of the traffic, the parking, and just the cost. And mm -hmm. I just found myself really unhappy by the end of that four years. And I, I definitely had, uh, when I started traveling, I was trying to seek out home. And I was trying to find that perfect situation. It's like, well, do I choose Hood River in Oregon? Because there's an amazing, uh, there's you know, a lot of adventure there, being the kayaking, mm -hmm. the kite surfing, even a bit of skiing. And it's close to an airport while still living in a small town. Yeah. But then I'd always find a way to pick it apart and be like, no, I really don't want to live here. And I kept doing that to quite a few locations around the world, but I always kept coming back to Sunshine Coast. And I've really come to realize the older I've gotten how much I really do love that I grew up here. And mm. it does have everything that I was searching for. And I realized as much as I love the snow, I'd rather travel to the snow and have the ocean at my doorstep yeah yeah isn't it interesting that we um i i grew up in the country in the north coast of new south wales and i did the same thing couldn't wait to leave and head to the city and have all those sort of big city experiences but and have traveled around the world again seeking out that place that fills up your soul and i think we need to do that before we can really acknowledge and go home to the place that actually does feed your soul oh definitely so i've definitely come to appreciate Sunshine Coast again. So it's, yeah, it's not too shabby. No, not too shabby <laughs> at all. I'm sure many would agree with you. Um, so before you went off to become, uh, was it a newspaper photographer? Sports yeah, photographer? so yeah. originally in my career, like I was very, very obsessive about wanting to follow the paths of whether it was Adam Pretty or Craig Golding. And you know, these are the guys who have photographed the Olympics, the Rugby World mm. Cup, or like all these big events. And I just thought, I want to do that. Like, I want to be on the sidelines. And the problem is, well, the newspaper era, gosh, like the golden era, the end of it was really the 90s. Mm -hmm. And then I think since the noughties, like, it's just declined so much. And it's just not the same that it once was. And I just came to this realization that I wasn't willing to give 25 years of my life for maybe, just maybe an opportunity to get access to one of those big events. Mm. And I just saw how everyone, how uh, jaded and cynical everyone had become who had been there for too long. And I was like, it's too true. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, it's not me. But, <laughs> <laughs> and so everything came to a head. Uh, well, what, what happened to paper again? So I remember there's one day uh, someone said, oh, hey, Crystal, can, do you mind covering the races today? Because the guy who usually does it can't do it. And I was like, sure. I mean, again, you're always taught, especially as a uh, stringer, you cannot say no. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, yeah, sure, I don't mind. I'll go photograph the horse races. How hard could that be? And little did I know, they were like, great. Crystal knows how to shoot the races. We'll just leave her <laughs> on that shift for the next two years. Oh, uh, yeah. So for two years, I shot every goddamn yeah. horse race. I can and imagine. You can imagine, yeah. By the end of that, I am just losing my sanity. Mm. And I just realized, and when I spoke up to the picture editor, he, of course, was incredibly pissed off that I was no longer enjoying my time as a horse racing photographer because that meant he had to find someone else. Yeah. And but the problem is, like, I had started taking off on expeditions. And the one thing you learn is, like, they don't mind you taking off. They get that. But they don't want you gone for too long because they rely on you each week and once the phone stops ringing then you know that okay i no longer have a job there yeah. um but it all came to a head because 
I went to Pakistan in 2011. I was mm. documenting some friends of mine who were incredible paragliding athletes who really wanted to break the world altitude record in the Katakoram range. Yep. And at the end of the trip, I was injured in this uh, tandem paragliding accident. So we, we, the quick summary is like, we just had an extraordinarily bad takeoff. Everything that went wrong, went wrong. And we slammed it into some boulders. And that was a 12 hour rescue mission from the time of the accident to getting to the military hospital. And so anyways, I remember coming home and I sent a photo of my face to the editor being like, ooh, not fit to work and I thought no, I have right. seen a photo of your face after that and yes I can understand <laughs> not fit to work that was great I thought this is the perfect way of me not burning my bridge but just like gracefully like oh no I'm not fit to work yes. they will forget about me and that's it we've, we've ended the relationship cleanly but they I get home and started going to physio and a couple of weeks later they call me up being like oh Chris do you mind shooting the soccer and I was like yeah I could do that and, uh, but the night before the shift, I go to the World Press Photo Exhibition and I walk in and uh, I, I was on crutches and moon boot. I was wearing this sort of trench coat. So I had beers stacked in each of my pockets. And- uh, <laughs> As you do. As you do. And the first person I run into is the picture editor. Ah. And he was a real stress head. And he just started stressing immediately. And I'm gonna try and hold back the cuss words that were exchanged <laughs> i can um, imagine having worked in newspapers i know the yeah i know oh, the vocabulary yeah. <laughs> and uh so he, he sort of starts spinning out and he's like i gotta go have a smoke and i'm like oh, okay and next thing he comes back he's like nah your ohs concerns i can't let you do the shifts so i just cracked the shifts because i was like you full well like i showed mm. you a photo of my situation Yep. And the thing is, by then, with stringers, no longer were we given any equipment whatsoever from the newspaper. I was using my own car, my own camera, my own computer. So I was like, how the, you know, how the hell am I an OHS concern? Mm. Um, so it sort of ended in me telling him to, well, I don't know how else to say, but I basically told him to go fuck himself. So that really ended my <laughs> relationship with the paper. No coming back from that? <laughs> no, I've done that a couple of times now. And I was like, oh, I should do things a bit more gracefully, but I can't hold back my... Well, you know, it's important to stick up for yourself. So, yeah. yeah, and it was tough because I, the only work I kept at the time, I was... Um, oh, actually, this was funny. Uh, so I kept working with Slattery. At the time, the thing of Slattery Media, they said they used to do all the AFL coverage. And so I was always scheduled to shoot all the Sydney Swans games. Mm -hmm. And because I was doing physio twice a week, as everyone knows, physios are not cheap. And, you no. Yep. Um, they've earned that. And uh, yeah, and I didn't tell them. I was like, no, no, I can do this because AFL, you just sit on a chair. You don't, you know, run the sidelines. Run side the sidelines, side yeah. Yeah. So um, the first one I got back to, uh, my ex, um, he, well, obviously we were together at the time, I, he offered some help. Um, to you know, make sure I could get through my shift. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm coming out of the uh, media room uh, through the tunnel and the Sydney Swans uh, were just finishing up their final warm-up. Mm -hmm. And so as I'm coming out of this tunnel, there I am on the crutches and moon boot and of course this red eyeball and every single Swans player just rubbernecks at me. And my ex, I'm sure the amount of people who thought that I was like a domestic abuse case. Yes, I can imagine. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So that was quite the moment. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, 
Yeah, so after that, um, but how it all really took off and why I got into the adventure space, uh, at the end of that year, the, the relationship had completely broken down with my partner. Uh, I hated living in Sydney and obviously no more work with the paper. So there was nothing mm -hmm. holding me in Sydney anymore. Mm. And then I got this phone call out of the blue from uh, Heather Faulkner, who was my university lecturer um, way back in the day. So you went to Queensland College of the Arts and yep. studied photojournalism? Yeah. Uh, yep. Mm -hmm. And she called me up saying, oh, look, I've got this friend, John Rodstead, and uh, he's looking for someone to um, fill in his shift as an ex expedition guide in Antarctica. Cool. So, of course, I'm like, holy shit, yes. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, yes. God, yeah. And, and I knew at that point uh, that was my escape. That was how I could leave Sydney well mm. and truly because it was hard. Like, I didn't know where to go because there was no opportunities. And that was perfect. So I was like, great, packed all my stuff up, went back to the coast, chucked it all in the shipping container on my grandparents' property. And then thus began, what, 10 years of um, traveling, yeah, traveling the road worldwide. We have a special offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our AG magazine for six months for just $39.99 and save 10% on the newsstand price. That's three issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your home for just $39.99. You'll find our special subscription offer at australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash Talking Australia. So tell me, I mean, I'm kind of interested and, and I feel like I, we haven't had similar trajectories in lots of ways, obviously, but in terms of like newspapers and, and mm. you know, working, working in, in that industry. And I worked with a lot of photographers and the majority of sports photographers then were, were male. What, what, what was it that drew you to sports photography? Was it that you had a particularly active childhood and kind of outdoor activities was your thing or...? Yeah, no, I, I did every sport I could growing up. Mm -hmm. And I remember even when I was in uh, stu or studying, I was naturally drawn to uh, rock climbing. And mm. like I'd done a few adventurous sports growing up as well, but I just remember I just so badly wanted to get into rock climbing. Um, and finally photography became an excuse. Yeah, but right. also like when it came to the end of high school, I just remember uh, seeing the work of Adam Pretty and like mm. this big folio spread in this magazine and I just thought that's what I want to do. Like it was a mixture of still being able to be involved in the sports, being outside and being creative. Yeah, yeah. It sounds to me like that whole idea, those, those dual passions of, of being outside and being creative kind of they meld together and with the career that you, you're pursuing. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, I just knew I couldn't sit inside mm. uh, in a confined space because I just gosh I get so easily distracted and then I procrastinate but when I'm outside I feel like I my attention is very focused yeah yeah so with that accident um in Pakistan in the Karakoram um you smacked into is it a, a rock um, uh, a group of, a of rocks or? yeah it's rocks? yeah it's always hard to explain um this terrain properly but if I guess if you can picture it, it's a it's a very steep hill mm -hmm. steep enough that when you start running good luck getting your legs to stop like you are just committed yeah. and so generally like it'll only take a few steps and then with the glider catching the thermal then you would you know sail out pretty quickly mm -hmm. uh, and but with his takeoff um, my pilot he 
Uh, yeah, basically, so first thing that happened that the wing was launched, but it was launched with too much power. So it should have sort of stayed behind us in a way, um, but it came like over the top. So it really propelled us forward very fast. Yeah. And I started running, but um, the pilot, he had fallen over behind me, or he, you know, is half tripping. Yeah. So he's got no balance. And then I guess he must have fallen to the left because then he, yeah, <laughs> we go hard, well, not hard left. Um, sort of going diagonal and then we go a hard left and so on this hillside not that they're ravines but you know all the runoffs so yeah. th it's not even a gully it's just runoff so there's a dip in the terrain so we started I remember looking down seeing my feet off the ground so we were in the dip and by the time I just look up there's all the giant boulders in mm. this runoff and interesting enough because I've always wondered did I ever protect myself did I ever instinctively get my hands or my legs or something um, in front of me to protect me. Mm. And just the other week, I was just doing a four-wheel drive course and we were just talking about, um, he was testing some gear and you know the car rolled and um, he was saying that if your body's propelled any faster than 12 kilometers an hour, you cannot control your limbs. Mm. I was like, huh, okay, because yeah. like I, I basically broke two cameras around my neck that were in front of my chest. Mm -hmm. And so I had some pretty severe bruising throughout my torso and a mm. hematoma in my stomach. And um, then I'm like, yeah, I did not get my legs up in front of me. I would have just pancaked that rock pretty good. So the idea is that 12 k's an hour, it's that's too fast for your mind to react in that moment to, to protect itself? Oh, or? it's more so the fact that I think we all like to think in our heads that uh, if something ha like this happens, that you are able to like control Rush your limbs. Mm. Yeah, because for example, this guy who was teaching me this course was saying like, you would think if you're in a car accident, you are going to be able to keep your hands on the wheel. Mm. And you say, nope, after 12 k's an hour, um, basically, yeah, your limbs just go flying whichever way they want to. Wow, with the momentum of the, <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever direction. I wow. thought it was a pretty cool fun fact. I was well, like, yeah, but 12 k's an hour doesn't seem like, you know, it doesn't seem no. that fast. I mean, it is obviously faster than I can yeah. run, but it doesn't seem that fast that you shouldn't have control. Wow. Yeah, it's super interesting. I'm sure some people could defy that, but as a general mm. thing, I was like, huh, makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> but look, I mean, that happened to you and that would have been, you know, and, and as you said, there was a lot of time between, you know, it, the accident occurring and you getting actually getting to a, a hospital and getting some help. Did you yeah. at that point or ever think, uh, okay, that was, I'm not doing anything like this again? Because I, I imagine if you did, <laughs> you'd certainly ignored it because you've gone on to have, you know, a career that is full of adventure and risk and um, activity. Yeah, no, the problem is uh, I remember once we got down to um, back to the road and we're waiting for the Jeep. I don't know if it was before the first or the second Jeep. Anyways, I just remember turning to Tom, one of the pilots, and I was like, we got to come back. There's <laughs> <laughs> my answer to that question. <laughs> well, we did. I mean, five years later, 2016, we did go back. Mm -hmm. And I certainly have some anxiety when it comes to taking off or landing. Mm. In fact, the first flight I had... And I don't blame the pilot, but I did go back with a different pilot. And I remember, gosh, the first flight we had, it was a good one. The takeoff was, it was a bit nerve wracking, but then we're going down this valley towards Mashabrum. And anyways, we're trying to get back, but we just start dropping. 
and it was really hard to hide my panic mm. because then it was like oh no we're not going to get back to the soft fields to land in like we are just surrounded by rocks everywhere mm. and if we're coming down and then uh, with paragliding you always do come in with speed and so it's yeah it's hard to realize it's okay you need to come in with speed and the pilot will control it and back it off at the right time mm. but yeah as we come down in this rocky field we just landed this like one patch of like sort of sandy dirt <laughs> I was just like oh why am I doing this again yeah yeah, yeah. I imagine <laughs> So I'm wondering, um, again, because I feel, you know, I've, I've obviously um, done a bit of reading about you and, and the adventures you get up to, like, you know, storm chasing, you know, um, Tornado Gosh, Alley and all, all those yeah, sorts oh yeah. of, yeah, all those sorts of things where normal people would not seek out those experiences and would not put themselves um so I'm kind of really interested in this whole idea of, of that, that there's something in you that is filled up by, by that, but also how you manage the fear and, and any anxiety that might, might be surrounding, uh, surrounding that. I find fear a far more scary thing when there's nothing happening. Mm. So when you're sitting there and waiting, that's when the fear creeps in because your mind has time to go, okay, well, what about this? And what yeah. if this? Create all those scenarios. Oh, gosh, yeah. But when you're in the moment, I mean, there's fear there to keep you alive. Yeah. And, uh, for example, someone reminded me, it's like, if you ever walk up to a cliff edge and you're not feeling nervous, then that's a very big red flag of complacency. Mm. And I was like, oh, that is a good thing to be reminded of. Yeah, because and it's I, kind of instinctual, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think it's good to feel afraid. I mean, I get to top of some steep ski runs and, man, my heart is just wanting to jump out of my chest. Mm. And then you think, okay, I'm aware. I, I feel like fear makes you very hyper aware of your surroundings and you sort of go into this instinct, um, instinctual sort of survival mode in a yeah. way. Uh, but, yeah, and I know with storm chasing, it's... Uh, <laughs> 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 it might be hard to rationalise this one, but... Man, when, when you see those storms, I mean, Australia gets some very impressive storms too, but mm. Tornado Alley is special. It is just on, uh, no, not on fire. I was just trying to think, like, I mean, it is just alive. On steroids, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's just amazing to see, like, you wake up, it's a bluebird day. So then you just think, how the hell does a bluebird calm morning turn into, like, darkness by 3 p.m.? Mm. And yeah it's it's just so amazing to see that process and i just think it's addictive because it's also just appreciating mother nature and what power she can unleash yeah. and it's funny though with tornadoes like when i saw my first one i mean it was so surreal I, they still are and you've i mean i've come to realize how hard they are to chase because it is Oh gosh, there's so much work into reading the radars, reading the skies, mm. knowing the roads, and then just hoping, hoping that you've just chosen the right place. And, and a lot of times, yeah, you'll see them from quite a few miles away, which is, and you think, okay, I should be satisfied with that. No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> I saw this footage of these guys chasing this tornado, and I swear to God, I felt like the tornado was like maybe like not even a kilometer in front of them and I was so jealous I was like that would be so amazing <laughs> so I'm feeling like most people would be like that's more than close enough <laughs> but yeah, not for you <laughs> I was jealous and I was like and I know there's insane risk that comes with this and of course you're doing your best to manage it 
Mm. But I just, ah, there's such a fascination with seeing it. And then the more that I've learned about tornadoes, you just realize how much we actually still don't know about them, just the science behind them. Mm. It's, uh, yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I imagine it's electrifying and electrifying in every sense of the word. Every one of your senses would be heightened. Um, and again, I think atmospherically, there'd be so much electricity you know, buzzing around that it would, your body would have to absorb that. I would say, I'm just thinking about everything I've done on adventure, I would actually say storm chasing has probably given me probably some of the most crazy adrenaline rushes. And mainly it's because, I guess, when you're not, you, you don't get to be that active storm chasing. You, mm. you tend to be sitting in a car. Yep. And even when you're out at a location, you're never too far from the car because you always have to be ready to just get back in and go again. Mm. So maybe there's a different way of absorbing that. Because I guess, say you're skiing, you know, this amazing run. Like, I have felt adrenaline, of course, and this mm. ecstasy from certain moments. But I guess with storm chasing, it's it's different because you're not distracted by trying to ski down a mountain or trying to rock climb. Yeah, know. or the physicality of that activity, yeah. Yeah, and instead, oh gosh, um, like at night and when the crawlers come out and like you'll hear what the electricity, the just the lightning oh, where right. they will crawl right across the sky. What and, a great name for them. Oh, so good. Yeah. And uh, you'll hear the electricity and it'll go for a good like two seconds, but it feels like forever. And... Yeah, it'll extend out right across the sky and the high that comes from that, just seeing such, uh, I don't know, just impressive um, forces of nature at work. It's, oh, yeah. Oh, I miss it. God damn it. And Nick, the guy, so Nick Moyer is someone who's been teaching me. and fabulous photographer, yep. Oh, incredible. And he called me yesterday and it was really funny because he's like, Sad talking about the American storm chasing season and then just how boring life was. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what to say to this, Nick. I've I got nothing for you. It's like, well, we can't go to the States this year. And yeah, we're hoping next year we could return back to storm chasing. But <sighs> it's hard because like a few weeks ago, like two wedge tornadoes touched down. And it's like, <sighs> Nick, don't tell me. Like, <laughs> I'd rather not know. Yeah, just ring up and sigh in each other's ears. Mm. <laughs> Oh, it's sad. And like, I, I tried to join him on a couple storm chases this Aussie storm um, season, but mm -hmm. with La Nina, there's just so much moisture that even a day where it was um, predicted to be quite, uh, quite an intense day, and there was just too much moisture that the structure would just sort of fall apart. Yeah, right. You're like, cool, glad I drove 15 hours for this, and now I'm <laughs> going to drive 15 hours back home. So was this into like um, central or outback New South Wales? Yeah, actually, yeah. Uh, we'll need Griffith that day. Yeah, so is that kind of, is not that we have an alley, but is that a good spot if people want to chase storms in Australia? Yeah, I'd say central, uh, yeah, central outback, New South Wales, Queensland. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there is a bit, a little bit, not so much in Victoria, but some. Uh, but do we do get some pretty epic dust storms, and that, of course, can happen yeah, anywhere from South Australia. Uh, I don't know about the Northern Territory, but certainly... I know when I was out in Western Queensland earlier last year in Thargaminda and mm -hmm. everyone was uh, showing me the photos of the dust storms. It was just, oh, it was incredible. Yeah, it was apocalyptic. I remember seeing images and just thinking, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, it's like, oh, I'd love to see. Like, I've only seen one or two dust storms, but 
gosh, some of the ones that happened in Australia during the bushfire season, mm. I just, I was kicking myself that I wasn't out trying to capture them. But that's okay. Another yeah, time. look again, most people would have the complete opposite response to that, but it's wonderful that you, you are, you know, <laughs> you, you don't feel like that. <laughs> I guess we're all hardwired, just a little different. Yeah, which kind of makes me want to talk to you about your motivation for seeking these images out. Like, I wonder whether it's a connection to Mother Nature and the grandeur, you know, of, of her and um, these special places or whether there's something else going on for you, the marriage of creativity and art and... Yeah, what, what is it that drives you and motivates you to, to do this? Well, I mean, it's, it's an interesting question when, when I used to be asked this question earlier in my career, it was so easy to come up with the, oh, I just want to inspire others. Mm. Um, you know, those who may not experience these places. And I was like, and a friend, basically as we deconstructed this answer, to put it quite crass, it's such a bullshit answer. <laughs> it's like, it does not get into the actual motivation of photographers. So I, I would challenge any listener, if we actually include this segment, is that when you listen to a few photographers, particularly adventure photographers speak mm. or like answer this question, count how many will say, I just want to inspire others by bringing back imagery from these far flung places and you just realize it's just an answer churned out again and again. Mm. My gosh, I sound jaded and uh, <laughs> a bit cynical, but uh, gosh, motivation. It's, I mean, of course, there's always going to be an element of selfishness involved where I just have this, I guess, insatiable curiosity to keep seeing the world around me and finding ways to interact. Mm. And I guess my interaction does come through the photography, like the camera, has offered me such an incredible excuse to go to these places or to just meet people mm. that I'd normally probably wouldn't get to talk to. And then, yeah, I certainly, I love the creativity behind it. I love trying to figure out, well, how can I tell a story in that split second moment? Yeah. And trying to find the depth layers and dimensions that would formulate, I think, what would classically be considered a great photograph. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, there is that challenge, and yeah, I don't know. I think I'm still, I'm probably still trying to figure it out, honestly. We have a great subscription offer for all our listeners. Subscribe to our digital edition for 12 months for just $24.99. That's six issues of our award-winning magazine delivered to your inbox for less than $4.20 an issue. Only $24.99 for a full year. So don't wait. To subscribe, go to australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. That's australiangeographic.com.au forward slash talking Australia. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm having been a journalist for many years now and having worked for photographers with Australian Geographic for many years, um, we talk, we often talk about the, you know, the art of, of making a photo as opposed to just taking a photo. Um, and I feel like with some of your work, say for instance, um, and people might not be familiar with it and if they're not, they should, they should certainly go and Google it, but you took this incredible image of a kayakers coming over a 60 foot waterfall on dark um, and the angle is just extraordinary. Um, and so that, for me, that was a beautiful piece of art. Um, and I know that that was, I don't know if it was, day, certainly the photo might've been days in the making, but perhaps the concept for it were, were weeks and months in the making. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I think I feel like my work sort of goes two ways. It's either one, I've been dreaming about a particular uh, concept and yeah, I mean, I've still got quite a few in my head um, that keep bouncing around and I just find the ideas never leave me unless I find a way to execute it in a photograph. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of, it's good and bad because obviously some ideas are just drive me insane <laughs> yeah. when I have, you know, it's been years and I still haven't finished a certain project. Mm -hmm. uh, but then on the other hand, I just like to be thrown into a situation, have no idea what's going on and then figure it out on the spot. And that's why I sort of call myself the chaotic shit show is because I know there's like very basic things that people would think I have sorted out, like checking the weather before a shoot mm. or little things like that. The amount of times that I have rocked up to a shoot and it's like, oh yeah, it's raining. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah I didn't bring any. I didn't bring any rain protection um, for any of my gear. This is fine. And sometimes like it does work out. Like I remember in the uh, North Cascades in Washington, uh, North America, and. We planned to do this high line, we're driving out and it's raining and we kept thinking ah, we should just turn back or we should go to Seattle. But for some reason this day we're like, no, no, let's just keep going. Mm. Oh, let's just keep going. So after a few hours of driving, we get to the car park and it's still raining. So we're like, well, we drove all this way. We should at least hike. Well, if we're going to hike, we should at least carry the gear just in case. Mm. And of course, I remember we're coming out of the trees, it's still raining. We're just like, oh, let's just go a little bit further. And as we get to the base, of where we started to climb up, uh, it sort of actually fined up a bit. And we're like, oh, well, let's just see. And then just ended up being one of the most spectacular afternoons, like these beautiful clouds, the sun sort of filtering through from time to time. And so that's why I, I, I guess I don't like to play in too much because, yeah, nature can be very spontaneous. Mm. And it's nice to go in with that sort of similar mindset. Because sometimes when you go, you look at the radar, you're like, nah, it's raining, I'm not going to even bother. Well, who knows? Like it could yeah. have actually been fine. Yeah, and who knows what you might capture because of the rain, for instance, you know? Or... Oh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, the sun activities, like, like if we were doing a proper rock climb, yeah, the rock would have been too wet mm. and we wouldn't have done it. But it was a scramble and the rock was dry. So you do look at certain risk taking factors where, yeah, wet rock or if there's lightning, gosh, no, we'd not have risked it. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah, sometimes it just works out. Hmm. So it sounds like you've travelled, you've covered a lot of the globe in your travels. Would that be would that be right? Did I read 55 countries? That seems to be the number that kept on popping up. <laughs> <laughs> I always get asked, like, how many countries you've been to? And I'm sure a lot of people expect me to say a higher number, but I like going back to places. Hmm. So I like that I've been back to Pakistan twice and I would still go back again. Mm. Uh, I've been to, oh gosh, I've been to North America many, 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 many times. Uh, I mean, I have been to South America, but gosh, there's just so much I haven't done there. And even with Europe, or oh, oh gosh, actually Africa is probably my least visited continent. Like I've only been to Morocco and I'm like, does that really count? Um, yeah. Yeah. So right. And is it because of the landscapes and the people? Because I'm always drawn to. I mean, obviously, I'm drawn to both. Um, yeah. No, I'm definitely drawn to both. And yeah, there's so much. And I also have waited for a project mm. to give me the excuse to go to somewhere. So I, gosh, I was on call to do this Red Bull project in South Africa, and oh, it just it didn't quite come through. And that that was crushing because I was like, oh, finally, I'll finally get to really go to Africa yeah but 
Nope. So then, and friends in Zimbabwe, they're like, come on, Crystal, like, come for a visit. And I was like, I know, but I really want a project as well, rather than just a visit. Yeah, <laughs> lobbing by. <laughs> oh, yeah. And like, I would love to see so much more of the Middle East. I think that is some of the most incredible terrain anywhere in the world. Uh, but obviously there's a few hurdles in some countries, depending on, yeah, whether there's war or yeah, for sure. and such. But uh, no, so I've, I've seen a good chunk, but I, I guess in my insatiable desire, there's still so much more to see. Um, so in terms of insatiable desire, let's come back to Australia. You've got mm. um, a trip planned, a trip coming up. Yeah, I decided that finally that I don't have the distraction of international travel. Certainly not in the case of it being like, all right, Crystal, we need you to go to the States and then maybe continue on to Europe or, or, or whatever projects that were being um, streamlined together. And these would be projects from sponsors, say for Canon, Canon for instance, or Red Bull or? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a mixture. Like if, if someone, for example, like Red Bull had asked me if I wanted to go shoot the Air Force in the States recently, which of course that broke my heart to say mm. no, because I'd never got to do that job before. And had I accepted the job, I most likely would have gone, okay, rather than fly all that way just to do one job, I should stay on and maybe go, go shoot another rock climbing project in Moab or, yeah, yeah I would have found something else. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so now that I'm, well, very much so stuck in Australia, I figured I've always have dreamt about the Kimberley and, and I have been there twice, um, but the projects that I did were always to the bungle bungles. Mm -hmm. And so I know that, and whilst that's an incredible uh, part of Australia, to me, I'm like, there is so much more to the Kimberley to see, of course. Mm. And I figured, all right, I'm going to drive across Australia from east to west through the middle, and then I'll cut up to the Kimberley. And the good thing is, I mean, if work pops up, great. I've uh, told my um, agency, I was like, I, you know, I can park up in Alice Springs or Broome, wherever. If I need to go, you know, if some work comes through, great, I'll take it. Yeah. But if not, I want to spend a couple months just trying to take my time and but also search out stories like sort of go back to more journalism um, that I used to do. And, you know, whether it's, you know, the bull mustering in Western Queensland or perhaps, you know, documenting um, tourist sites that have become quite overrun mm. um, that should be talked about because I figured there's not much outback and rural coverage happening these days in mainstream media mm. and so i've offered my services to whether it's sydney morning herald or the new york times um, that i'll be out there i'm happy to be the correspondent and that we should be you know reporting about the australian outback oh yeah definitely a thousand percent yes mm. and you're right yeah. about you know it's what i guess and you would know this from living on the sunshine coast for the last 12 months that um it's wonderful that everyone's exploring their own backyard now, but it, it also runs the risk of, of being completely overrun, you know. Yeah, and particularly, so some of those tourist sites, uh, particularly uh, when they're quite special and sacred, and like there'll be certain indigenous sites that have been opened up to tourism, and unfortunately some of them are becoming so overrun, just to, um, they're becoming quite degraded, yeah. and it's something that should be talked about and managed. But it's hard, like, if there's no one talking about it, then it's sort of out of sight, out of mind, and no one does anything about it, Yeah, which is quite sad. Yeah. Uh, and, gosh, this is going to go down another rant, but, you know, social media, it's, like, I want 
people to be outside mm -hmm. because they enjoy the space. Yep. But it's been really hard in the last 10 years to see the rise of social media and just seeing people where it feels like they've only come to that place purely to take some sort of selfie, yes. something to post about, but their intentions aren't really true to be in that place. It's, I, I, yeah. I agree with you um, on every level with that yes it's it's not to sit and, and be in that space and, and absorb all of the, the the energy and the gifts that it that it can bring to you it is really just to almost tick it off a list and and take that photo yeah yeah it's interesting watching people's behavior mm. where you sort of see they what they've got their head in their phones not even looking around the trail yeah get to look at oh yeah oh let's see how good i can look i know <laughs> like, right narcissism to its fullest and and then they walk away head back in the phone and it's like oh how, like how have we lost our way so much uh so yeah and then oh gosh i mean well well maybe I'll, there's I'll maybe there's your you know maybe there's that story you can just document <laughs> that and hopefully get it to a wide enough audience uh, where people will realize how insane it is yeah, I, I've thought about, there was a couple of essay ideas I had, and particularly actually in the States, I had this great essay idea years ago, and I'm not going to share it because I've still not seen anyone do what I thought would be a great idea. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, the other thing too, which, I mean, feel free to edit this out, mm -hmm. but another rant I'm going to have is the amount of people who have transformed themselves into an ad. Uh, wow. So you'll see these like, you know, cars or camper vans of like all right make sure you follow at oh yeah whatever family or couple or people travel in australia yeah. and a lot of the time and i can't fault people like hey if that's your intention and that's how you're going to enjoy the trip great go for it like i i do not fault you for that i just worry about people who have turned themselves into an ad not realizing it oh into a and personal then, brand i actually had yeah. someone say to me recently i've rebranded myself for this year my brand oh, this year is and I'm like who who talks like that who thinks about rebranding themselves and like I know that someone could probably try and call me out because yeah for sure I've become an ambassador to certain brands so yeah I have certainly made a business out of it I'd just like to think that gosh out of personal choice like I I try to keep pretty private actually on my social media mm. like I don't post about for example relationships mm. or family like I that to me is like nope that stays in my space and I do not need to share every goddamn detail um, with people I don't know mm. and and I when I do work for a brand I try to find ways that yeah usually I'm photographing friends using you know maybe backpacks I'm shooting for a certain brand or, or shoes or something uh, but yeah I'm just really perplexed by people who feel the need that every day they've got to post a selfie have some sort of bleeding the heart post, mm. which in other words, you know, people just want to sort of spill out every yes. opinion and thought they've had. I cannot digest that. And yep. a lot of time these people will just trade for photos for free gear mm. and it's not even actually paying their way. And then I'm like, why would you do that? Mm. <laughs> it's just hard because as a professional photographer, it's obviously, um, yes, it's had our business. It's yeah, and, and same same as a as a professional writer, it's like where's the storytelling? Where's the art in, in the language, you know? Um, it's it's a photo and a you know, not even a clever caption, you know. So. Oh, and not not even a clever photo because it's yeah. like it's there's no like there's nothing dynamic about the photo, it's just a person standing there looking at a landscape. Mm. So for me it, 
and a lot of people have been drawn to the idea of like, okay, small figure in a big wanderlust type landscape. Mm -hmm. But for me with my photos, I've always tried to make sure that the subject is engaging with the landscape. So whether they're hiking or, um, or I don't know, setting up camp or something, just actually interacting with the landscape rather than that cliche um, back of the head looking at a brew vista. Mm. There's just, there's no storytelling in that. And that's exactly the word I was about to use, storytelling, you know, um, that real connection. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a very layered conversation that I've just like started to rant about. <laughs> and again, it's like, as I said, like I don't fault people who have consciously made that choice and they're happy with that. Mm. I just, for me, I just worry about some people where it's like, do you realize you've actually turned yourself into an ad? Yeah. Like from that uh, documentary, Social Dilemma, like the best quote from that is that when something is for free, such as Facebook, it's because you're the product. Yeah. And that's where it's like, oh, yeah. if that doesn't hit home to some people, I don't know what will. And I, you know, and I, look, I, I don't want to be all gener generational about it, but I, you know, in, in observation, it does seem to be different for the different generations. Yeah, definitely. I'm pretty thankful of, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really thankful when I grew up yeah. because uh, I, I remember when Facebook came out early 20s for me and even then I was like, no, nah, I don't want to be a part of this. Mm. And then finally a friend was like, no, 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 you really should. So I think I was 23 at the time. And it was so nice a couple of years ago, I actually I shut down my personal page. Mm -hmm. And then just as of like last week, I actually finally closed down the business page because I was like, there is really no point in having any engagement with this platform. And you know what? I discovered that today because I went to look on your Facebook page and it was not there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> because I just thought, what is the point? Unless I'm going to pay for distribution, there is no traction. Mm. And, I, and I know Facebook owns WhatsApp, Instagram. Yeah. Tw like, yeah. And then you think, okay, by me taking a stand of quitting my Facebook altogether, uh, you know, I still use Instagram. Yeah. So it's like, uh, it's really hard to get out of the, the, I don't know, the sphere. I suppose part <laughs> of the conversation has to be though. Say for instance, you're a young photographer starting out and they aspire to be where you are now. I guess mm. social media certainly has its place. Yes and no. Mm. Uh, I, I have seen like, actually I've seen some athletes, professional athletes, because again, they're in a similar boat where they a lot of brands or you know their sponsors expect them to be on social media and before hayden kennedy had passed he actually took a stance of saying no i don't need to maintain social media and he would write for a lot of the rock climbing magazines mm -hmm. and his sponsors actually stuck by him yeah. which i thought that was really commendable yeah. and it's tough with photography because and i get it and it's like how can you resist in a way of like something that is for free and it's a way to potentially, if one of your photos just happens to go viral, maybe that could be your break. Yeah. Maybe a brand is watching and goes, oof, um, we need to hire this photographer. But the one hard thing is I would say is, as a young photographer is don't fall into the trap of producing imagery that you think others want to see. That's probably what the easiest trap is to fall into because you think okay oh, oh I, need, I need the numbers i need the followers yeah. so i'm going to shoot these really pretty photos that people double tap but i i think my advice would be forget the numbers you have to shoot the way that you want to because when i saw an article from 
an editor from, oh gosh, what was it from, The Times or someone like a very high esteemed publication. Mm -hmm. Actually, it was The Times. She released her list of photographers she was watching and I actually went into that list because I was curious. Yep. And someone who shot the cover, and she, I believe she was a Brazilian photographer, was just shooting with an iPhone. They then got her to shoot 50 covers of all these prominent female leaders in her style with her iPhone. Mm -hmm. And when you went to her page, I think at the time she was maybe 2,000, 3,000 followers. Yeah, right. So it just goes to show that whilst it's hard, like I've struggled with this massively for many years, I was so driven of like, oh, if I'm going to get any further traction, I need the numbers on my social media. And it really ate away at me. Mm. And it's been really nice to let that go. In fact, <laughs> maybe I let it go a bit too much because I have really posted in this past year. Yeah. I was like, I just <laughs> don't care. I don't want to rehash old work just for the sake of keeping a presence on the medium. Um, but it is nice to see that editors will find good work. Yeah. And then they will only hire photographers who are storytellers. They will not hire a photographer who's posting pretty vistas with no story. Yeah, that's absolutely true. It is that, is that artist eye for storytelling, you know. And the toughest thing too that I've seen in some of these younger photographers, uh, I remember there's one in particular, um, they were complaining that, oh, I don't want to be known as an Instagram photographer. I want to be known as a photojournalist. And again, you got to be careful how you do establish your career because if you were going to monetize and um, profit off that sort of Instagram world but then suddenly one day you wake up and go no 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 I'm, I'm not that anymore I want to be considered a serious photojournalist mm. it's like well uh, that's probably actually biggest advice it's like yeah really be careful mm. on how you do establish yourself because if you are associated with a certain um, I guess tagline it's, it's really difficult to change that yeah yeah. So it, it's a bit like a classic case of, um, and to use you know females as an example, but this goes to males too. If you want to post about yourself in a sexualized way, so let's go to like the classic bikini photo or the guy, you know, the shirtless yeah. guy posting about something. If you've chosen to do that, again, I can't fault you. That's fine. If you're happy with that attention and going down that route, then there's nothing wrong with that. But if you suddenly wake up one day and go, no, 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 that's not okay for someone to talk about me that way. It's like, well, wait up. You, you can't just suddenly yeah, You opened the change. door, didn't you, really? Yeah. Mm. I think you just, you got to be really careful how you, you know, if you're going down this route of, I guess, creating a brand, and then what is it that you stand for? Wow, I really went down that, sorry. So. <laughs> no, 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 because I think it's, I think, you know, people will be really interested. I mean, it is, I almost feel like it's a, it's certainly a question of our time, you know? Um, this very mm. um, instantly, you know, instant gratification um, as opposed to, you know, I'll snap a shot and I'll post it and I'll get, you know, 1,500 likes or whatever and I feel great about myself. But but are you actually being true? If you want to be a true artist or, you know, a true photojournalist in this, in this instance, you do have to be mindful of those things. You do have to think about the bigger picture that you're painting and, and presenting to the world. So I think it's really timely and useful advice for any any young photographer who's, you know, trying to establish themselves. Yeah, and it's also I would say uh, like a lesson I've had to learn too is I've had to not be so quick on certain judgments I've placed upon other people mm. um, by what I've seen on social media. Uh, it was actually one of the athletes at this um, Red Bull uh, what's called again. Um, there's a Red Bull event in Florida 
and it was to help encourage females about getting into skydiving because the statistics were quite uh, astounding of how many were skydive instructors compared to males yeah, right. and it was on that panel that she had brought up that point where she's like yeah if someone wants to you know post in bikinis and such like if she wants to do that but then I can't be you know judgmental and I thought oh man I've definitely been that person where I will criticize someone but at the end of the day you realize you know what if someone wants to do that like everyone's got the freedom yeah. and that's fine yeah. it's just um and if I don't want to see certain uh, media or certain people on social media uh, that doesn't influence me to have a positive opinion, then it's pretty easy. You just unfollow. Yeah. Or you, yeah. But that seems to be hard to a hard concept for people. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? It does. Ooh, yeah. Speaking of you know um, women or lack of women in you know skydiving and, and skydiving instructing, have you? And I, I, you know, I don't want, it's, it's not Me Too movement or anything like that, but has, do you feel it has been mm. harder for you as a woman to establish, establish yourself in, in, in your particular industry or, or not? Uh, I would say at times, yeah, it's, it's certainly felt that mm -hmm. way. Um, but I'd say one thing I've been reminded of is that uh, the woman before me, holy mackerel, what they had to put up with. Mm. Uh, like so I was really lucky to be a part of this exhibition called Who Shot Sports and I happened to be in the States so I decided it was worth it to go to the opening at the Brooklyn Museum and this was a couple of years ago and so when I rocked up and a few of the other photographers had turned up and I guess before the opening there was a few of us there and one of them happened to be Walter Yost Jr and again another one of my idols so of course I was like Oh my God, it's Walter Yachts. Mm. And then there's another photographer, which I feel very silly that I've forgotten his name, but another old school photographer. And we started walking around the exhibition together and it was so cool to hear him talk about the work like from the 60s of like, what was it like to be ringside at, you know, Muhammad Ali. Oh, wow. and, yeah. and so I was just enamored with these stories and just hanging out with them. And at one point it was just Walter and I and we're walking around a few photos and he talked to me about in the 80s, he's like, there's a situation where we're at the tennis and at the tennis, like all photographers sort of sit in the pit or not in the pit, but like, you know, in their own little stand. Mm -hmm. And so they're there. And of course, like a lot of sports photographers, uh, in case people don't realize, a lot of them have to be there really early before an event. Um, and generally, gosh, you could be sitting there like an hour before, yeah. half an hour before, like just, you know, being ready. And he was telling me, and he wasn't proud of himself, but this woman photographer comes out and the guys, now I know I can't repeat these words on the show, <laughs> but basically they said, make sure that <clears throat> certain word mm -hmm. can't sit uh, down. And really? so this one guy was encouraging everyone, like spread your legs, like make it so uncomfortable that she can't yeah. even join the um, stands. And Walter was saying he was just, he wished he had done something like stood up or just mm. spoken out against this, um, but I guess failed to do so. And and I just think, oh gosh. And I'm sure that's you know not even the worst of mm. you know some of the earlier photographers had to put up with. Yeah. And so for me, I've certainly met the odd dickhead along the way who hasn't been too kind to me. And but I never took it as a sexist thing. I guess I always just took it as a 
No, it's like, oh, that's just someone I don't yeah, just, like. Just not a good and human, necessarily. No, and they're just incredibly insecure about a young photographer coming mm. up. And um, one thing I get frustrated by, I can understand when, if you don't know someone, yeah, for sure, you question the skill set and make sure that they're capable yeah. um, of doing things. But sometimes I'm just tired of, like, I remember when I went to Chopu uh, a couple of years ago, and um, in the lead up, I'd tell people, like, yeah, hey, I'm going to go um, photograph Chopu. I've always, you know, dreamt about this. And immediately it's like, oh yeah, so you're just gonna shoot from the boat. And I was like, no, no, I'm gonna shoot from the water. <gasps> oh, Crystal, are you aware? Like, you know, Chopu's a really dangerous wave. And it's like, yeah, no shit. <laughs> like, I didn't know that. No, thank you for telling me. Oh man, I just, it was just that immediate assumption where I felt like as a female, we're probably prone to that mm. assumption um, more so than a guy. I sort of wonder if, if I was a guy, would people have said, oh my God, that's sick. Like, yeah. that's awesome that you're doing that. Rather than this, oh, it's such a deep, it felt really condescending mm. actually. Yeah, patronizing like, in a way, yeah. Oh, that too. And so it's, and then you sort of think, oh, I've been at this for so long now. Um, surely I, I wouldn't still get this, but even, and not that I expect people to know who I am, but just, I remember turning up to Red Bull Loom in Hong Kong in 2013 and, checking into the hotel and this is the event where they invite all the finalists so there'll be 50 photographers mm -hmm. or so and so I met some of the other guys in the lobby and they're like oh like you know um you're here with the event oh yes oh so um are you are you a judge and I was like no no oh are you a spectator I'm like no I'm a photographer oh you're photographing the event for us and I was like no no I'm a finalist <laughs> and uh yeah, it's just there's little situations like that where I guess it probably feeds my fire a bit more where I just really love proving people wrong or trying to change the assumptions. But sometimes it gets really tiring where it's like, can't it be cut a break sometimes? Yeah, 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 definitely. <laughs> but, and then of course there's other, yeah, there, I've encountered some pretty disgusting acts along the way. But um, the good thing is, though, I'm seeing a, a pretty big change where I'm seeing quite a few females, at least in the adventure sport industry, that are coming through and are shooting incredible mm -hmm. work. So it's nice that it's not a case of like, oh, I don't know anyone. It's like, no, I, I could tell you a whole bunch of ladies who are completely, um, they're just charging. If anything, some of them make me feel lazy. of like, oh, I should probably do it. Oh. <laughs> I don't um, know how that but, would be uh, possible, but yeah. <laughs> oh, it's usually possible these days when I've been sitting on the Sunshine Coast for 12 months. <laughs> so. Uh, but no, there's, there is good change. I mean, I think it doesn't matter what, like how much we progress, there will always still be just um, not so nice humans yeah. that you'll run into and you sort of have to figure out, okay, what's their, um, uh, what's their agenda? Are they insecure? Are they, do they feel threatened by you about them losing their clients or their work to yeah. you? And so you start to understand why people have acted a certain way towards you. like. I remember one photographer who told me that I should give up being a sports photographer because I was never going to make it. And instead of like letting that affect me, I just remember driving the home being super pissed <laughs> off. And the next day seeing the editor choose my images. And at this time I was only work experience, mm. but the editor ran all my images over his. Yeah, we'll see. And um, there's, there's his motivator. Yeah. And you just realize, okay, he's just not a nice person yeah. and I do not need to run into that person ever again yeah definitely i mean look it's a very it's, it's an insight into human nature isn't it that um 
people will, yeah. will try to tear down what they what they fear or what they don't know. Oh, absolutely. So, and I've met like there have been inc oh actually I should correct this conversation a little bit too. It's like I've had so many incredible men who have mentored me and given me their mm. time and helped me in my career. And of course, there've been some incredible strong women who have come into my life too. And what I was going to say is like I've now spoken. Uh, not so nice of certain men, but there's also been certain women I've met who have been absolutely atrocious to me as yeah. well. So it does go both ways. Yeah, it does. And again, uh, that's why I think it's important to say it's a measure of, of a human, not a, of a man or a woman. It's, it's you know, the type of human someone is, yeah. That's it for today's episode of Talking Australia. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out. Write us an email, podcast at australiangeographic.com or find us on Instagram at Australian Geographic. And if you go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia, you'll find a special subscription offer. So don't wait. Go to australiangeographic.com.au slash talkingaustralia. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening and hear you next time.